and Mark Hennick. This is So-Called Normal. Hey folks, welcome to So-Called Normal. I'm Mark Hennick. Today on the show, we have Sarah Schuster. Sarah Shu. Sarah and I uh, connected a few years ago through The Mighty. If you follow the mental health community, you probably know what The Mighty is. Uh, it's a, a an incredible website, uh, publication, uh, blog of what, I don't even know what to, how to characterize it, of such inspiring stories written by people in the community of a variety of different health conditions, but their mental health piece in particular, uh, and the articles that they post on mental health by people with lived experience, people who have been there, who have experience uh, in these areas, it's, it's extraordinary, really. I wrote an article for them a few years ago. I keep meaning to write another one, so maybe at some point, maybe even before this episode comes out, I'll, I'll do it another one. Uh, but it's it's such a, a wonderful um, publication and, and community of people uh, who, who share in their challenges together. Uh, Sarah used to edit the, the mental health piece in particular, but now she's an editorial director for The Mighty. Uh, you can check her out on Twitter. Uh, oh, geez, I'm going to have to try to, I'll, I'll try to pronounce her in the outro what her, her Twitter handle is, because I'm not sure. I'll spell it out for you. Anyway, here's my conversation. I love talking to her uh, with Sarah Schuster on So-Called Normal. I'm Mark I'm Sarah. My last name is Schuster. And right now, my job is that I run the contributor section for The Mighty. I think that comes to mind when you ask me who I am because I'm a workaholic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's definitely um, my day to day life does feel defined by that. But when I think about it a little more, I mean, I'm also, I'm a writer. I really enjoy editing. I like helping other people tell their stories. Um, what drew, so you, uh, you mentioned before we turned the mics on that you have a journalism background. I do have a journalism background. Yeah. yeah so I can talk a little bit yeah, about tell that. Me about so that. I've always been a journaler, an obsessive journaler. Mm. I have all my journals from, I want to say, sixth grade to today. Really? In a like little, a daily kind of Like thing? a daily journals that I filled up every wow. day. Wow. Um, because as a, you know, goody two-shoes, not very expressive kid, that was like my little secret with myself. Mm. I loved having a space that mm. no one got to see that was my own. And it was really important to me. Did you, uh, were you in a, a big family or, or why would you need I that? I have. <laughs> that, that <laughs> Let's sounded, talk about my family. Let, let, no, no, let no, me, no, no, I'm glad you, fully no, unpack I'm glad you, you yeah. said that. So I have um, two younger brothers. Okay. I have okay. two younger brothers. I have a, a mom and a dad, as most of us at least originally do. <laughs> most Obviously, of us. circumstances change. <laughs> you know, actually, no, some people have dads and dads. Some people have moms No, that's and true. Moms. That's true. There's so many reasons, so many ways babies can get born these days, actually. It's pretty amazing. Um, Anyway, I think that I was always used to being the one that was okay. It was very Mm. important to me. Not only am I the oldest in my family, I'm also the oldest of my extended family, too. I have about 10 cousins who are all younger than me. They're not all babies now, but at one point they were, and I was very much the oldest. Um, were you often caring for them uh, as well? Yeah, in, in 
little ways. Sure. Actually, you know what? <laughs> Just to say, I wasn't often caring for them. I feel like I was often bossing them around, to be honest. <laughs> I was caring for them in the sense in that... In case they're listening. In, ca- yeah. in, case that, <laughs> in the sense that we would put on plays that I would direct. Mm-hmm. And I okay. was like, had a vision for what I wanted. And they were like, my little, you know, whatever. So your, per- your personality <laughs> type was clear from very early on. Oh my God, like. I was so bossy. I was so bossy. <laughs> Even with my brothers, too. I was very bossy. I'm trying to think of the first time. I'll, I'll say two things. There's two things that kind of relate to this. And one of them actually relates to the work I do now. So the first thing is, I think for some reason, I took it at a very young age, probably for, from family stuff, um, family dynamics, kind of the first examples of of what emotions are okay and what emotions mm. aren't okay. I definitely was taught from a young age that Big emotions were not good. And I say big emotions because I think I used to think that I just couldn't feel anger, right. extreme sadness. But I also think, like, like this, is, this is well known when you muffle those feelings, also extreme, you know, silly excitement. Right. Um, and maybe emotions that I didn't deem logical or that didn't have, like, an amazing explanation. Right, a purpose. I was yeah. very much, like... I was very much, I don't want to say discouraged, but I felt like I couldn't express those things. And so that's where, you know, journaling became mm-hmm. really important to me. And I'm sure we'll go more into this later, um, but something pretty significant happened to me and didn't happen to me, but happened to my family when I was a senior in high school. Um, it was the first time my brother tried to kill himself. And I can mm-hmm. say that publicly because he is a rock star. He's very open about what he struggles with. And I've just become more comfortable speaking publicly and also with him about how something like that affect, affected me and affected sure. our family. Um, well, one of the things that people say, especially family members most commonly, is that they didn't see it coming. Yeah. Is that your experience so as well? So surprised. Yeah. I, I mean, I had experienced suicide, death by suicide in my community. So I knew suicide was a thing. My brother and I were very close, but we were close in the sense that he would storm into my room and we'd like shit talk. I don't know if I can swear. We'd shit talk my parents, (laughs) you know, like in the very close in the way that was kind of like us against them. We'd talk about school and boys and all this stuff. But I didn't know that he wanted to die. And so that was pretty big. And I think only now I'm processing how important that was to my development. And I think, again, going back to journaling and storytelling and and not feeling your feelings, there was a very important or very powerful message that I took in, which was that my brother is not okay. Mm. I need to be okay because this is an emergency. And so immediately my parents' attention and my extended family's attention, it was, you know, we, we all wanted to make sure Colin was okay. And as the oldest, I actually went off to college the next year. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of room for me not to be okay. And so the journaling I actually did that I was younger, which actually started with me talking about boys. I literally have, there's like this entire <laughs> saga in my eighth grade journal about why <laughs> this kid named Matt won't kiss me. Yeah. It's like it's like dramatic. You've gone back and, and it's and heartbreaking. Them, I yeah. have. And um I, I don't I don't often revisit it, but I remember at least this eighth grade one I did. And and anyway, so so there's this interesting like trajectory of my journals where I'm, you know, I'm exploring with experiencing emotions, not just that I'm not allowed to feel, but that like mm-hmm. I don't want to tell my parents, you know? Sure. Yeah. And then when, you know, things started getting more real, 
all of a sudden, this is actually the only place I can express anything. Right. And because I'd already been doing it, it became a really safe place for sure. me to talk about, you know, m- my brother and things going on with my family. And uh, what what were you afraid would happen? I know you said it was. <laughs> I, I don't mean to. No, if I'm, no, if I'm psychoanalyzing. No, you no, here, no. This but, is do it. No, let's um, do it. Let's do it. <laughs> no, but I mean, so it was discouraged in your your household. Sure, extreme mm-hmm. emotions on either end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. but. You know, what were you afraid would happen if, if you expressed emotion outwardly? Or what would happen yeah, if you expressed for, outwardly? For me, I think internally it was this idea of, of losing control. Losing control, yeah. which is Which is maybe not as specific as it could be of an answer, but... That's all. That's all no, I, I think, got. I, I think. I think. I think, significant, I, think I think the a fear of losing control. Right. The fear that, especially, and it's hard. Also hard because if you've been bearing the stuff for a while, mm. there's this idea that if I get angry, I'm not going to stop. Right. If I let myself sob, even though logically you know my feelings only last whatever four minutes, whatever it is, like you mm. know, you know that it's it will. It will hop this this fear of like who will I be if I let this energy out? Mm-hmm. Um, it's an identity thing almost, if that makes sense. Like yeah. when you identify around being again the stable one, the one mm-hmm. who's cool, calm, and collective. Um, there's a fear of losing control. There's also the fear that people won't like you mm-hmm. if they see if someone has to witness you experiencing emotion that feel so extreme. Right. Yeah, um, it's uncomfortable to be around somebody who's judgment, experienced of course, extreme emotions. Afraid of getting, yeah. of getting judged, afraid that, you know, people think you're one thing and they find out that you're crazy or mm-hmm. that you, you know, aren't as put together as they think you are. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. I think control and also fear of judgment. Fear of being seen. That's a big one mm-hmm. for me. I think a lot of people deal with that. Mm-hmm. The fear that if I lose control over how I present myself and I am really seen. So so there's two things, right? There's the fact that if you have control over your image, you want people to like you, but it's not as, you know, you kind of have a secret yourself. Like I'm like kind of yeah. putting on this thing. So it's like if someone doesn't like me, I'm not as offended. That's right. If you want you want people I, to like the you that you project. Yes. <laughs> and if I, God forbid, if I lose it, mm-hmm. And then someone doesn't like me. It's like that's all I got. They don't like the real me. I can't me. adjust that. That's it. That's like me and my raw sense. Mm-hmm. So now I don't hope that it didn't go off topic at all. But um, no, it brought but yeah, it con- square in. Control, topic. control is yeah. is a hard. I think when it comes to my relationship with my emotions, and again going back to writing and the work I do now, writing is, and the reason why I love writing is that. In a sense, it's a beautiful place to lose control and mm. to get everything inside mm-hmm. you out. But then you also get to tailor it and you get to edit right. it and you get to present it in a certain way that still it's like a sa- it's a safer way to express feelings because yeah. I still get to have some level of control, even though I'm way more likely to be more vulnerable sure. in a piece of writing. So um, was it sufficient? early on or did you still feel trapped at some point that you weren't able to express yourself? Oh, I 100% felt trapped. Oh, it was not enough. It wasn't enough. I thought it was enough. I loved my secret world of my journals. Mm. And then in college, I started thinking about killing myself Mm. and cutting myself. Like that's what it was. It was this, this, it was the, the, it can't. And I think a lot of people who found ways to cope, certain coping, when you put all of your eggs in one basket. <laughs> and then you lose the basket. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, uh, you're, it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. So for me, my, my 
MO of not talking about it, keeping it to myself, it became this almost like inside joke I had with myself Mm. to feeling like I was like trapped and I actually couldn't tell anyone how I was feeling. And that's when the bad thought starts. And that's when Mm. for me, and I know you talk about suicide a lot, Mm -hmm. for me, my suicidal thoughts and my self-hating thoughts and the stuff that I still experience to this day, I've tried to learn that they're really my, my red flags telling me something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, not that um, I'm very lucky that I've never been actively suicidal. I've never, um, although I do think of self-harm, I've never planned a suicide. I've never been suicidal in the sense where I could honestly say that I wanted to die sure. and would take action well, to die. Well, it's a broad range, it's I think, of experiences. It's a range. It's a range. My experience is... Um, very much the sort of thoughts and because I have a little OCD gene in me, the repetitive mm. thoughts of I want to kill myself, I want to kill myself, I want to kill myself. Sitting in class, mm-hmm. taking notes, I want to kill my writing in my notebook, I want to kill myself, I want to mm. kill myself, I suck, I suck, I suck. Did I suck, anybody I suck, ever I suck, I suck, find I suck, I suck, I suck. this? Mm-mm. Notice? No. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um So how did you or or did you ever come to a point where you realized or somebody told you you know, that's not like healthy, <laughs> what's happening. I actually ended up, I was able to write a piece about this. I have a memory of, uh, I worked at this like pita place in college that was open to like 3 a.m. late night shift. Mm-hmm. And I remember struggling during a shift and during my break, Googling on my phone, is it normal to think about killing yourself all the time? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> at that point, it was again, it was a soundtrack. And I didn't mm-hmm. really find anything. And I think... And I think when I finally went to counseling and kind of learned how to talk about it, that was helpful. Honestly, though, I'll tell you that like my work at the Mighty, which I know we haven't really covered yet. No, but let's go um, there. Let's, yeah, tell me about I, your work at the um, when I when I started working at the Mighty, I sometimes we were talking before about this recovery recovery narrative. My story is a little murky, where I feel like when I started, and a lot of people do this actually. I shouldn't pretend that this is unique to me, but. When I started working at the Mighty, I was still thinking about killing myself all the time. Right. It wasn't like I was like, I am ready to share my wisdom because I <laughs> am cured now. You it's know? amazing that people still think that about advocates <laughs> yes. as well, mental health advocates, that yes. they've figured it all out and they're great now. No. Nope. <laughs> I mean, for me, for me, it was really, it, was, it happened really naturally because I needed a job and like, right. you know, um, the Mighty was the first job I ever yeah. had. So you had uh, the journalism degree under your belt and you're mm-hmm. looking for work in, in L.A., Burbank area so I wasn't that's a funny part I actually um so another thing I don't know if people know I I started as a contributor for the mighty okay um the first well actually first can you talk about what the mighty is because we didn't even do that yeah so the mighty um which is where I currently work um it's evolved a lot over the years I still call it a storytelling platform it's basically a place where People who have a story to tell about living with any health condition, not just mental health, you know, we people with disabilities, right, for us, uh, autism, uh, chronic illnesses across the board, um, anywhere kind of health touches your life, they can both submit their stories to us and also now post on our platform. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is to put human stories behind health conditions. And so the example I like to give is that we want to be a place where 
you know, let's say you were just diagnosed with bipolar and you're Googling bipolar disorder because mm-hmm. you're like, what does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you land on WebMD <laughs> and you see, okay, a list of symptoms. Maybe you're like, okay, like I get that. You know, maybe you, go, maybe you go to a nonprofit. Nonprofits are great. Like maybe you find great resources from a nonprofit, which is really helpful. But we want to be a place where, you know, you see the mighty, you enter the mighty's bipolar page, and all of a sudden you see stories like what I first knew when I was diagnosed with bipolar right. disorder. Yeah what relationships are like as someone with bipolar disorder. All these little moments that can basically put words to people's experiences, a list of symptoms won't be able to do. We want to be that portal, that place. So basically what we've been doing for the past like four years is collecting these stories from people in our community who choose to write for us Mm -hmm. so that through our social channels, not also through, you know, search and other ways people find content, um, someone who is looking for information about their condition can basically be met with some sort of hug (laughs) in the sense that they they might be able to find a story that relates to their experiences. I Um, mean, anybody can find a pamphlet with symptoms on it, right? But to find somebody who's been there and... And their experience might not be exactly like yours, no. but at least no. it's a, a human yes. <laughs> who's been yes. through it. Yes, letting people tell their own stories is really important yeah. to um, to us and to me. And so that's kind of, I don't have the same position as when I first started, but that's kind of where I started. Was that new for you, getting into the health advocacy kind yeah, of Yeah, so it was in the sense that, um, <laughs> another thing that story I like to tell is that I, in college, I like to say I was a closeted mental health writer because I would report on mental health in all of my journalism classes. Oh, interesting. And then in my extracurriculars, I actually ran a comedy show. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, A satire news show that me and my two friends from freshman year started. Are you a comedian? So much fun. No. No? (laughs) I was the producer, I would say. I was the producer. I got to... um, produce this amazing satire news show. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe at one point I was funny. I, I don't think I'm not funny. <laughs> I think you're funny. But it's not It's not a professional um, thing for me. <laughs> but anyway, so, on, you know, I was doing that in college. But in these classes where we had a, you know, because you, you learn writing by doing. So we were, mm-hmm. I was writing a lot for classes. I was able to choose mental health topics. So I was actually interviewing, you know, kids from Active Minds, even though mm. I wasn't part of Active Minds. I eventually mm-hmm. joined, but not until, like, my senior year. Mm-hmm. I was going to, actually, local NAMI meetings mm-hmm. and, like, taking notes and, like, being a journalist there. And right. I remember, actually, specifically being at one of the NAMI meetings and on the way home just being in tears, mm. being like, I'm here as a journalist because it's the safest way I, I can I that. can yeah. be there yeah. because I get to take notes right. and I get to like observe and I was so scared to be there as a person. Really? I found myself wanting to participate yeah. and I was like so scared because again, if I, I'm never going to stop crying if I start talking about it. You know, at that point my brother when I was in college my brother was was hospitalized seven times. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing way better now, but it was a it was a thing and I wasn't telling None of my friends knew. Yeah. None of my friends knew. So when you make the jump then to the mighty, yeah. was it difficult for you yeah. to hear all of these stories from so many people? <sighs> no, it was wonderful. <laughs> really? Yeah? Like yeah. as a cathartic kind of yeah, experience? Yeah, it was yeah. A difficult. I mean, there were so many things that were difficult about sure. it. Actually, to be honest, because of how I approached it at first through a very journalistic lens, mm. I still I still stay able to have my editor hat on. I mean, you mm. can't 
edit eight stories about suicide a day. Right. Which I don't always do. We try to spread out the content. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> but you can't read you can't read about suicide all day right. and be per- and have your emotional hat on. Right. Um, you couldn't do it. So right. I, I'm able to. I think from day one because I was already so good at burying things. I always like to say that I have amazing defense mechanisms. Like mm. they're like top notch, <laughs> top notch defense mechanisms. I tell and people from- <laughs> sometimes that I've gotten very good at being depressed. That yes. it's just like I practice all the time. Like <laughs> I'm a, I'm a comes great in handy. depressed person. Yeah, I'm it comes in handy. Professional, um, but the, I mean that's the one job, <laughs> the one career, probably why you were directed there, and or, or or why you made it to that place, yeah. uh, where that particular set of defense mechanisms. Oh my comes god, it was so helpful because I'd already been doing it. So right. so to read the stories and still really. Like again, like feel them, enjoy them, but to see them as stories. Right. My job is to come, is to open a story I get, and make it the best story it can be. Right. My job is to give it a headline. I think that will summarize a story and will help people see it. My job is to make sure all the copy is okay. For some writers who um, are a little more scrappy, my job mm. is to help them with their sentence structure. I love that stuff. Like, right. That makes me like, like fixing sentence structures like a joy. Have you? So this is a, the most important question I think so far. <laughs> Have you ever been in a public place and had a pen or marker on you and corrected a sign that you've seen? (laughs) (laughs) The grammar. Never? (laughs) Every once in a while, I have. I think I've texted my boss, the editor-in-chief of the Mighty, pictures of bad grammar on signs just to, like, (laughs) be like, I don't know. But yeah. what's funny about that is uh, this is like the dirty secret. I'm actually not that great at grammar. Oh, no? <laughs> I like I, I, I love I'm, I'm more of a macro writer where right. I really like sentence structure and I really like making like making things cohesive. Right. I actually um, I'm infamously it's a little topic. I'm infamously a really bad speller. Mm. And so when I told my friends I was editing, they're like, no, you're fucking not. You're not editing. <laughs> like you're editing other people's works. That's like you funny. can't, you know, your text and emails are full of typos, but I've gotten way better. Yeah, I've had to yeah. um, slow down. I've actually just <laughs> recently I'm not even finished it yet. Uh, have been reading um, The Writer's Journey by oh, Christopher Vogler. I I've think heard of it, but I yeah. haven't read it. So he's a screenwriting uh, mm-hmm. expert. It's, it's kind of a classic in the field of screenwriting. But he very much talks about the whole point of it is about the structure. Uh, and he applies yes. the hero journey and the narrative of you know overcoming the challenge. And, and like many big Hollywood blockbuster movies have that, yeah. that overlay. Uh, but I really respond to that kind of um, structuring your story because some yeah. people think that you can just... That it doesn't have to have any sense. Well, no, you can give it sense, right? And yeah. This is what you're helping people. And, and I and one of my favorite things to do is I love reading someone's story. That and when I say mess, I mean like a beautiful mess. Like not that it's a mess, right. isn't like oh my god. It's like a. It's like you can just tell that they just wrote from their heart. Right. Yeah. And sure. I love looking at the story and be like, oh, I know this isn't going to work, but that nugget, that mm. paragraph. Like that's something, and I love setting it back to people and being like, hey, like you know, we we can't publish everything we receive, but like. This right here, this is your story. Yeah. Write about this. Yeah. And then actually helping to get them published because they had something in there. Right. They just didn't, because whatever, they just own the experience or whatever, you know, whatever reason, they didn't know that that was the part of their story that would work more successfully That's as an often entire the case. story. When I finished yeah. the first draft of my book, and not to not to flex too hard to myself, but... Do you guys know Mark's um, writing a book? I'm yeah, not sure if you're no, listening. I've probably <laughs> mentioned it every... Uh, no. Uh, anyway, for like two years now book. or whatever it's been. Anyway, um, no, but when I wrote the first draft, uh, they said, okay, upper limit 90,000 words. So I gave them 130,000 words. Of course, of and course. when I sent the email with the attachment, I said, said to my editor, uh, here's a great big hunk of stone. I think there's a sculpture in there somewhere, yes, but I can't see it. That's a great metaphor. Yes. And that's it. You just get it all out. Anne Lamott <sighs> is, uh, her book, her book uh, Bird by Bird, Bird, by Bird. I, 
read yeah. that in creative writing class she, in college. It, it's brilliant, and it was so helpful for me because uh, the best advice in it that I've ever received was write your shitty first draft. Yes. Just dump it all out and then work with the material, yes. right? And I also think what you said, too— um, and asking for help. Yes. Like sometimes even I, like I edit professionally yeah. and I've handed, I, oh God, I wrote, a, I wrote my first feature last year. It was so hard. It was so really? like great. Yeah. And I, you know, again, like I'm a professional writer. Like right. I knew I needed edits, but I don't think I realized how I, much I was struggling with structure. Yeah, until, well, and you can't edit until, your own work. You can't until, no. until another editor at the Mighty just gave me notes. And I was like, this is what I needed because yeah. she's not so in it. Yeah. She can see the, the statue, you yeah. know? And I was yeah. like barely chopping away yeah. at it, just <laughs> yeah, trying yeah. to like be, you know, do it myself. So. Well, and I think it's also important too to not be too precious about yes. your words, right? Yeah. You love your darlings, yes. Yeah. But you got to kill your darlings. Kill your babies. <laughs> I've heard that phrase right? twice today. It, yeah. Well, it's a, yeah, it's, it's almost cliche, I think, in the writing world now, but yeah. it's true because yeah. when you write it, you think it's, oh, this is brilliant. This is amazing. Oh my this God. Is good. And yeah. then you come back and read it later and, oh, that actually wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? So it's important to be willing to, I think, uh, and to accept the fact that you can edit your own story, that just because it happened to you uh, and, and your first draft is how you expressed it doesn't mean you can't decide how that story is told. Yes. And again, like getting help, getting a second yes. perspective. Uh, that's how that's what helps you learn. We were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Learn what to, what to put in, what not to put yeah. in. Um, anyway, that's luckily because I geek out about this stuff, is part of what I get to do on yeah. a daily basis. Well, and you're very good at it. Thank so you, you I, I did one article for The Mighty uh, a few years ago. And you guys have very, or, or you folks have, have very quickly become a big deal in the mental health community. Mm, you really have. You. Um, are, are your mental health articles, is that a, a, a sizable portion of what The it's Mighty most, does? It's most of our articles. I thought yeah, so, yeah. It's I most of our so. articles. It's our biggest section. Yeah. And there's there's a few reasons for that. I mean... Mental health touches everyone. So if you yeah. have a chronic illness, if you have, you're autistic, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're probably, you know, for various reasons, also struggling with your mental health. Sure. Um, it could be because people don't accept you mm-hmm. for who you are, and that makes you feel certain ways. It could be because having a chronic illness has changed the life that you knew, and all of a sudden you're thinking about suicide when mm-hmm. you, you were never someone who, you know, consider that before Mm -hmm. Um, mental health touches everything that we do so it is the biggest section but I also think it was a good time I think in general people are just like really talking about these kind of issues more so it was right time also like right community and honestly like we only were able to grow because there were so many people who are willing to tell their stories now I don't know if you're if you're too in the weeds of it to really notice the the macro trends from article to article but do you notice that there are particular areas of mental health or or types of struggle or things that recurring things that seem to come back over and over yeah that's a great question as far as themes we see again and again I think people not feeling understood Mm. is pretty big. Mm. And whether that's a teacher, a parent, friends, I think across mental health conditions at least, this idea that even if I'm an advocate and I have my community online, Mm. it can sometimes be harder to look at the people in the eye who you're interacting with every day and getting them to understand. Mm. Um, 
I think that's a pretty common thing. And I think, you know, like any condition, but especially mental health, loneliness, isolation, shame, Mm -hmm. talk about things that make mental health issues worse if you're already struggling. You know, Mm -hmm. something that I found with myself is that a lot of people's journeys, it's not just about, quote unquote, curing the mental illness. A lot of it has to do with taking away the layer of shame that covers the symptoms. Right. And then you can deal with the symptoms. So I think that layer of shame, that, that the idea that what they're experiencing is shameful still, even though, again, like, we, we you know, mental health is everywhere and we mm-hmm. think that, you know, uh, stigma is going away <laughs> just, just because there's so many people using a anti-stigma hashtag on Twitter doesn't right. mean that your Uncle Joe Right. is going to understand why you drop it to school because yeah. of your mental health issues. It doesn't even actually mean that that person who used that hashtag <laughs> so fully true. gets it, right? That's and so and I, I find this this comes up a lot because we, we're talking about mental health more now, yeah. you know, and you guys have been a big part of this, I think, in the last five years, ten years than ever before. And that's super exciting for me, you know, having this is the only thing that I do. I have no other transferable skills. <laughs> this is it. So, <laughs> this is it. So talk about all my eggs in one basket. It's like... <laughs> Um, anyway, That's not what I meant, Mark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's been uh, it's been a real privilege, though, yes. to be able to think that for all of human history, we've thought the same old stigmatizing way about mental health and mental illness, and it's just now that things are changing, and we're a part of that. That that feels really special. Yeah. Um, but also realizing too that this is a generational change, and and it's a slow change. That there's mm-hmm. still a lot of really significant problems with the mm-hmm. system. And I also think that like with a lot of things, social change is slow. Changing the systems that serve people is even slower. Mm. So not forgetting that while it's amazing that, you know, more people don't think that people with mental illnesses are bad. Right. Also remembering, too, that that there's, and I have no really advice for this because this is the kind of work that I don't do, but I, I want to do, um, remembering that, you know, unless it's actually that information is getting up to the people who have power to right. affect um, availability of treatment and things like that. Yeah, and I think it's and a big support. part of that, too, is challenging stigma when you see it. Yes. Uh, not only in yes. your community. That's almost easy yes. to get pissed off when somebody says or does something that's stigmatizing. Oh, my God. But also yeah. to challenge yourself. And yes. in the advocacy community as it's yes. been growing, asking yourself occasionally the question, what am I actually advocating for? Mm-hmm. And is it helpful? And is it moving the needle? So right? what, did, um, what was the word when we, the first time we met, you used a word to describe yourself. Are you still identifying st- from um, that word? <laughs> I am. Uh, <laughs> and, and, I forget? So I've got all kinds of issues with the mental health advocate <laughs> yes, yes. Um, title because yes. I, everybody's an advocate now. I think that's great. But it also gives me pause and concern that, well, what does that mean? What are you what doing? What are you advocating for? Right? Yeah. What, uh, you're, exactly. What are you advocating for? But um, is it helpful? Is it is it useful? So I started calling myself a mental health strategist. Yes. Uh, and I still do That's use that, that name. Yeah. I, I use yeah. both now, advocate and, and strategist, because yeah, yeah, I do course. both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it really grew out of, you know, the purpose of this podcast, uh, the, the shift of uh, or the or the recurring criticism, I should say, of Bell Let's Talk, that we need to do more than talk, we need to act. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's even just from a clinical perspective, that's how we help people, is giving them strategies and tools. And yes. talking is a great yes. first step, of yes, course. but we have to do more than that. And support. People need support. to feel supported. You can't do this alone. People need support. <laughs> right? So I totally understand, you know, for people, yeah, for people who work on the internet. Yeah, every once in a while we do get a comment going, this is nice, yeah. but what do I do now? Right. But like, this is nice, but I'm alone and I feel like no one understands me yeah. in my life. 
and I can't afford treatment and I right. da, da 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 and you have to look at those people and be like, man, like this feels this fills one need, but I think being aware of the limitations of your advocacy right. and being aware I love criticizing myself. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it comes Something very a habit of mine comes too. very naturally to yeah. me. And so yeah, I also yeah. love criticizing um or thinking about the limitations of storytelling right. and going, storytelling is awesome. It's important, it's vital. I want people to again get rid of shame, feel like they're not alone, but I think not pretending that storytelling is like the end all be all of advocacy and hoping that there's other ways people can get involved. And I also think important thing too is that I want people to feel like they can make a difference even if they're not comfortable telling their story. Actually, especially if they're not comfortable. Especially if they're not comfortable telling their story. Something that I've said before to mighty people is we put a lot of pressure if you want to make a difference, there's a lot of pressure to be on all social media accounts, be posting mm-hmm. this many times a day. And what I want people to know is if you like get depressed and tell, tell your friend about it for the first time and find mm. support, that's just as important as if you tweeted about it. Absolutely. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be on Twitter to count. Right. <laughs> that's, I know yeah, myself yeah. that too because I'm such like a shy tweeter. I actually have in my bio shy <laughs> tweeter because every once in a while I'll have like this burst and I'll be like, I can tweet. And then I like go into, like yeah. I can't do it for like another, whatever, a few weeks. Um, I but... <laughs> don't have that problem. So I, I mentioned to you yesterday when we saw each other that it, of my firm belief the Twitter's over. Oh, uh, right. But... Are we going to discuss this right now? <laughs> it was sure we can, yeah. And and, and I think, you know, it, it had its run. It was good for oh a while. Oh my God. I was You're a, declaring it dead. I'm, I'm, well, it's not quite dead yet, but it's definitely old. You heard it right here, right uh, now, folks. Yeah, Do not yeah. share this podcast on Twitter. It's not going to matter. <laughs> no, no, share it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it used to Great. be, you know, I, I was at the time a late adopter, It had, which means, I think, it had been around for like a year or, sure, or a year and a sure. half. And all my friends were on it, but I didn't want to do it. Uh, but then I eventually did, and it quickly became my primary platform. It was I did everything on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, but now, and it's really just been in the last year or so, um, that I've been thinking there's not as much activity here. The discussions, they've never been particularly helpful or insightful, I think. Sure. But, you know, there was an incident uh, a while ago, a year and a half, two years ago, I think, where I got attacked uh, by the mental health community uh, for something that I had said. Uh, even though the core message was very much in line with my views and my beliefs, it was very easily misinterpreted uh, because there's no room for nuance. None of this is yes. rocket science kind of yeah. stuff that we're yeah. that I'm saying here. Yeah. So uh, just in terms of traffic, though, that I've that I've noticed, it, it doesn't seem to be as popular as it once was. Yeah. And and so how and so. So what's what's next? What? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm <laughs> I'm uh, like uh, uh, like I was with Twitter. I strongly resist Snapchat. I think it's stupid. But anyway, I don't but, have Snapchat. No. Snapchat makes me so anxious. I had it for a grand total Ugh. of about ten minutes, and I was like, no, yes. this is stupid. I'm deleting you Snapchat this. because you know yeah. why? Snapchat. My Snapchat story, probably similar to yours, is that yeah. I like. I don't text people back. You know, you've tried to f- you tried to reach me on Twitter. I, I don't like I like communication is really hard for me. Yeah, no, me too. Sometimes it's like, like say, well, I think I sent feels, you one fairly recently that I was like, did. yeah, I was gonna. Uh, th- this is a response to an email oh, from like did. eight months ago. And it made me feel so <laughs> much better. I was like, other people do this too. But anyway, really quickly, Snapchat people were snapping me, and I was like, I right. have to respond to this too. I have to take a selfie. I also no, have anxiety yeah. taking selfies. It just so the whole thing was not wasn't no. for me. As I get older, I am very much getting older. So if, like Sna- I'm turning- yes. so if, Sna- if Snapchat is next, I'm going to go into a black hole. Like that's yeah. you'll never hear from me again if yeah. Snapchat's next. Yeah. I don't know if I could do it. No, that that won't that won't be me. So, <laughs> I, but but I think though that millennials in particular, this is we're digital. Na- I'm an old millennial, but still, uh, you're not that old. No, I'm not that old. No, but I, I'm right on the edge of, <laughs> sure, of millennial, sure. the entry edge. 
Um, but you know, we're digital natives and this is how we communicate and, yeah. and it, uh, has built a great community, I think, between us. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's a lot of downsides to it, too. We see higher rates of depression and anxiety and body image issues, all kinds of things yeah, through social it's media. Yeah, it's a tool. It's a it's tool. It's a tool. It's good for that people can connect. It's really good yeah. for people who don't have supportive environments to be able to find support or to find people who are talking about things that they care about. Right. Um, it's a lot of good. And I think whether it's Twitter or it doesn't matter what it is, no. I think it's uh, it's all about just like our need to connect with each other and wanting to, That's you know, it. like wanting to talk to people who get you, right? So I don't right. think it matters. So like, yeah, so whatever, if Twitter, if Twitter's dead, whatever's next or whatever, you know, mental health advocates and advisors will be using next, it's all about just about like making sure people feel connected um, and whatever it is, it's not going to matter. Which really speaks, I think, to what the Mighty has been yeah. doing, connecting people uh, in a deeper way than just arguing about something yes right? <laughs> i mean yeah i i i hope so right i mean the favorite comment i've i've I, to see on a post is someone saying i've felt like this forever mm -hmm. and i couldn't figure out how to put it into words right. and i just read something for the first time that spoke to my experience that's my favorite comment so yeah, yeah this idea that and, and how do they find it social media yeah. 70%, I don't know why I said No, more than half, I'm like trying to get my stats right, more than half of our articles are, are, are found through. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, more than, um, more than half of our articles are read through Facebook. Sure, no, of course um, they are. That's, and that's actually, just, it seems like Facebook is having a resurgence. Uh, in yeah, Facebook, Facebook, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard to say. But um, anyway, so if we, it wasn't for social media and, you know, we're trying to get people to go to the mighty.com, but people are finding our articles through Facebook, you yeah. know? So if they yeah. weren't framed for social, um, and if they weren't, you know, have the ability to be shared on social, right. we'd reach a lot less people. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, I've, I've gone back to Facebook in particular yeah. as my primary, yeah. Which makes me sound so old now when you yeah, think of I it. Never, my Facebook, I don't, <laughs> I only use my Facebook for, you know, I'm on Facebook all day for work. Right. So I never, right. my Facebook is just like a, it's just a thing. I don't, I don't really I don't yeah. post on it often. Yeah. Um, so you said, I, I think, and we didn't really explore it further, but you did an article, uh, did you say, or you wrote something about your experience? I've written a few things about my okay. experience. So the first thing I ever wrote that got picked up for the Mighty, the first thing that I ever publicly wrote about mental health, oh, I think that's health, what you started to yeah, about. was um, was this almost <laughs> like coming out piece about using the counseling center. I'm mm -hmm. um, not to co-op that word, but essentially, I had that point. It was my senior year. I um, had joined Active Minds officially. I was the vice mm -hmm. president. Nice. <laughs> um, and I knew, and this is kind of funny thinking about it now, I knew that I wanted to start a blog. That mm. was like my thing. I was like, I'm not going to tell my story unless it's in writing. Yeah. <laughs> so almost selfishly, I told the president, like, my little project I wanted to be this blog that we started. So it was literally, I went to Syracuse University, like activeminds.su.wordpress.com. Like it was a little, you know, dinky WordPress blog yeah. that I got to design with all of like the pre-made templates. <laughs> and the first thing we published and the first thing I ever publicly wrote about was, again, this piece about saying like, Hey y'all, like I'm. I don't know why I said, said y'all. I don't say y'all. From upstate New York. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to. Um, anyway, I'm not gonna get into that. Um, I, I'm trying to stop saying guys, but then when I say y'all, I also yeah. don't like it. So I'm trying right. to figure it out. Hello everyone. <laughs> Hello you people. Hello you. Um, 
Um, I was like, you know, my name is Sarah. You might know me because I run this comedy group. I write for this magazine, blah, 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 blah. Um, and once a week, I put on my gym clothes and pretend I'm going to the gym and I go to the counselor's center. Mm. And the whole piece was about that. It was about this idea of feeling like I didn't deserve to have support. And then finally, literally, and this, this is a true story, someone who, I mean, I had a huge crush on this person. That's besides the point. Um, but that, that really wasn't the only reason <laughs> whatever, why I was listening works. to him. Yeah. But this gentleman who um, we were friends literally took me to the counseling center, like mm. took me there, like came with me because I wouldn't do it myself. And not only did he take me there, you know, I, he was the only person I was talking to about like, I want to kill myself. Ha ha. Mm. And he was like, that's not, mm. you know, you actually, I didn't think of it. You mentioned like when was the first time. It really was this person. And I'm, you're just emailing. I remember him emailing. Tell me 10 reasons why I think that you should go to counseling. Mm. And 10 reasons came out and like that. I'm like, oh, well, from the outside perspective, da, 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 right. I had a list. I had just yeah. 10 things. I've sent it back to him. Finally made the call. He literally like had to like walk me there, went to my first appointment, and I kept going. And it was, like, not a great first counseling experience, yeah. but it was at least a space yeah. where I could just, like, rattle off and just, like, you know, just talk and talk and talk and realizing yeah. how much I wasn't saying. And anyway, this first piece I wrote was about that, and that's the piece that actually got picked up by The Mighty because yeah. I happened to be friends with the editor-in-chief of The Mighty, who's still the editor-in-chief, Megan Griffo, um, on Facebook mm -hmm. because she went to Syracuse and we had like passed each other. She was like a senior features editor at this on-campus magazine while I was the freshman intern and mm -hmm. we just like became Facebook friends but never mm -hmm. really spoke. But that was the first piece to get featured on The Mighty and then I, I wrote a few more from like a sibling pr perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote... I think I told you um, I wrote that piece about passive suicidal thoughts, which was mm -hmm. pretty great, actually, because I got to interview this psychologist. And again, in my um, in my journalism interviewer mode, got to ask him about, like, why do some people think about killing themselves? Secretly being like, tell me why I think about killing myself. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, try yeah. to be really professional. Like, <laughs> like, hypothetically, what would you tell someone who 20 times a day... <laughs> So that <laughs> thinks or, they deserve or, to die. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, often I hear um, my friend deals with yeah, this or that, and yeah, it's always clear yeah, where it's going yeah. from. So I did one of those, and I got to write this piece. But, I mean, I've heard, now, I've got, now, I, now I have a lot of personal stories. Yeah. Now it's, like, pretty second nature to share. I feel so right. lucky, honestly, just very grateful that through, you know, something that used to be just me and my journal now gets to be online. And even though, like... I'm definitely not as good as talking about it as I should be. Great example is that my parents found out that I was on medication from a Mighty article. <laughs> you ever want to tell your dad who you've never talked to about anything emotional that you're on medication for <laughs> anxiety yeah. and depression? Yeah. Um, writing a Mighty article is great. How did he respond to um, that? He or called me. It was yeah. really nice. He yeah. called me and said, I had no idea, Sarah. I had no idea. Because, again, my brother was, was so – and he is. He's so important to us, and we're all trying to take care of him. Yeah. And it was a good moment, actually. I find more often than not, we're more afraid of people's reactions than yes. what their reactions actually will yes. be. <laughs> yes, like, God forbid your father finds out you're not perfect. Right. <laughs> like, I really thought that was the standard, and he never explicitly asked that of me, and actually has been very, very cool as I'm learning how to talk to him and my mom about these things. Mm. So you said early on that you had, at least at some point, a fear that if you were vulnerable, if you opened up to others, that 
they would see the real you. Yeah, and the world would end. Right. That's what would happen. So now that you've done that, <laughs> it seems, and, and maybe you haven't, uh, you know, exposed every dark corner of your, your yeah. inner psyche, but yeah. um, do you still have that fear that people will see you now yeah. that they have? Yeah, I do. I do. I wish I could say I did it. Mm-hmm. I wish that I could say that I was in a place where I felt comfortable being seen. And I think it's slowly cracking away. It's mm-hmm. slowly cracking away. Because even here talking to you now, I'm here for a podcast. Right. There's a sense of, there's a purpose. I know why this podcast is happening. Um, oh, that makes one of us. I, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, right, exactly. Mark's like, wait a second. No, I, no. <laughs> you know, like I can, I can talk about it. Advocacy has been so great for me right. because it lets me, again, chip away at my walls while still having there be a comfortable wall. What I'm working on in my own space, a good example is like opening up to friends. Mm -hmm. I'm recently went through something that I won't get into and it was the first time I had really like told my friends as it was happening. I had these Mm. two great friends. I have a few words in two friends, but these two friends in particular (laughs) who I have in LA who I remember like talking to them in a very vulnerable way, like in a way that I only really, that I saved for therapy Mm. and having them be so supportive and then getting texts of them being like checking in and just crying, being Mm. like, I'm not used to this. (laughs) I'm not used to people checking in on me because I'm never letting people know that there's something to be checked in about, you know? So it was very easy easy for me to become the mental health editor of the mighty Mm. it was very easy for me to fill these certain roles that we fill as like you said public people because i know the power of storytelling i know my audience i'm thinking of these things through a very again journalism degree advocacy lens and the heart and i still am at the point where you could just sit sit down with me in my real life Mm. And I'd feel comfortable telling you what I was feeling. I'm still mm. at the point where I'm learning how to tell my boyfriend when I'm angry. That right. was a huge thing. Right. Like learning how to fight. Yeah. I literally had to learn how to fight. Yep. I'm st- still really working on that. And that's okay. Like we said before, that's okay. It's okay. I just like, yeah, I sometimes, and it's really easy to get hard on yourself. And I'm sure, this, you know, you know this as someone who is public in a space where we talk about mental wellness. I recently went down on my medication and I was thinking about hurting myself again. Mm -hmm. And I had to remind myself like, okay, been here before. Let's see, let's see where this goes. Doesn't mean that I'm awful. Like, you know what I mean? So, and actually that's a difference between having a thought like I wanna kill myself or like imagine cutting yourself. And then the second thought being, what the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah. Like, I'm like, I like I need to, what's wrong with me? Why am I thinking this? Even the fact now that I can have that thought and be like, sup. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, here that, we go. I think that's one of the most important things. Here we are lessons, again. Right? And, and, and at least, and again, not, not that. And, and that might be a thing. I think you talked about this too. Like, mm-hmm. or at least I've maybe heard you talk about this. It's not that you're never going to be depressed again it's not that you know for some reason my brain has decided that like self-destructing myself is like something i think about frequently it's just gonna happen even when i'm doing well having a great day and my brain is like are you sure you deserve to live like it's like incredible you know and it's the type of thing too that if you've been there before you can't just forget like it doesn't just erase from your mind and sure that would be nice but if you're if if you're clinging to that idea of why me and and yes. why can't I just erase all these thoughts from yes. my head? That'll never yes. happen. So if anything, so I, I, I kind of forgot what your question was, but like that's something 
I think that's something. I think like, I think changing my relationship with my thoughts and also again, chipping away slowly. I think the important thing is this. There was a point where I wasn't in therapy. I wasn't talking to people, but I was mental health at Earth the Mighty, right. <laughs> which yeah. is a joke, right? Yeah. Because I'm I'm not practicing what I preach at all. I, sure. I know all these well, all these theories. I know it's so easy to like, all these yeah. theories, all these like I know I'm, I'm into it. I love it, and now I can I can say I'm at the place where while I'm doing the work work, I'm also doing private work, and it's okay right. if that all that work doesn't turn to a blog post. Sure. It's okay if the work that I'm doing a lot of work in private because that's just kind of more of who I am that's my comfortability is but I can confidently say I'm at least trying (laughs) and that's uh I mean it's better than nothing for sure would the little girl who was scribbling in her diary (laughs) uh in her journal uh, little Sarah would she actually believe you if you talk to her right now about all this stuff that you're doing expressing yourself in this way no I don't I don't Well, uh, let, let me let me reframe it then. All things considered, do you like yourself now better than you did then? You know what? Here's what I'll say. I don't know if I like myself more. I definitely know that I'm capable of a lot more, and mm. I know that I can still be myself even with those extreme emotions I'm trying to hang right. on to. I think I think that's what I'll say. I'll say that I don't know if I can confidently say I like myself more than when I was because I also hadn't had the same experiences that I had. Sure. and. I definitely, I, I very, I'm very lucky that like my, you know, I had a pretty stable childhood and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think I had a lot going for me, even though there was some like teenage angst and self-hate. But I think that, <laughs> just like imagining myself, it's so weird. I think that if I were to tell that person that the stuff that you're writing in your notebook could actually like be public one day and be, could be used like for something. I don't know if she would believe that. Mm. And I think that it's been a good thing that I've been able to, you know, turn the little private, my little private world of darkness that I was so proud of mm. into something public. But there's also a sense of loss too, I think. I think sure. I think a lot about how sometimes I actually think part of the work I do now like is almost like getting comfortable with that like you know, private little dark world again Mm -hmm. um, and trying to figure it out and trying to, um, you know, sort through it and figure out how it affects me. um, To go and visit it, but then leave again. Yes, but have a (laughs) place, but having a place to go, um, to, to, to go elsewhere, I think is really important. So yeah, I think, I think the fact that I am able to take whatever, whatever was happening when I was like straight up emoting and Mm. turning into something, um, I'm very grateful and I like I don't I, I want to like myself do you like yourself Mark? I think that's good well that's this isn't we're not here to talk about me <laughs> I just turned it on you what like it's, yeah. a, it's a funny how that's yeah. a hard question because I don't want to answer in genuinely you no. know it's no, a hard of course and you know what that's probably one of the most consistent things that I've noticed in talking to people is mm. that nobody really wants to say yeah or actually I shouldn't say nobody but very few people want to say yeah I'm awesome this yeah. is great and I love every yeah. part of myself here's what I'll say about myself I think oh my god I'll tell you this is so embarrassing but I'll tell you I because I, I like I'm kind of obsessed with it's this just us. quote it's just and here. Like, no, no one's here right <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with this quote that I wrote to myself okay um once I was going through um a journal that I had no and it wasn't even a journal it was like a I don't know. It was something that I, I thought that I had. An, I was an unused journal, and I was like trying to find something to write with. And I found this 
line that was dated when I was a freshman in college. And the line was, sometimes I have so much potential, I want to kill myself. Mm. And I looked at that and I was like, holy shit. I don't know if that resonates with you at Mm. all. But to Mm. me, I actually think it's very telling of my self-perception where there's almost this ego to it where I don't feel comfortable saying that I like myself. But I actually do believe in me some like drive that I have the potential to do a lot whether it's my the way I work or the way I interact with the world there's a drive in me I don't know I I do think it's good that 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 moves me forward that moves me forward and then I think what kills me is that part of me that always feels not good enough. And right. I always see what I could be doing. I never look at what I am doing, you know? So this right. idea of what, what do I think about myself? Like, I think I could do amazing things. I, every, every day, not every day, I'll have these moments where I'm just like, you know, especially being here at the Healthy Voices Conference, mm. I've been looking around going, you know, I have to be, this one woman gave a presentation about policy and she's a lawyer. I'm sitting there going, I have to be a lawyer so <laughs> I can do this work. Every single, you know, person I feel very inspired by but I also feel very like oh my god like I could be doing so much more like this is you know I can feel it in me to be making a bigger impact but with that comes the whatever in me hates myself for not already doing that if that makes sense it makes perfect sense and I also (laughs) think though that that's uh, it seems to be a common factor on yes. everybody who's been the most successful uh, has that that drive, that desire to do yeah. something better, whatever better means to you. So I like I do like that about myself. I'll say that I like I like that I have a lot. I have a lot of passion for what I do. Yeah, that's um, clear. <laughs> it really is. Um, I have a lot of passion for what I do. And that's I don't I like that part of myself. I wish I was a little kinder to myself yeah. as I was pursuing the passion. Right. Um. Well, we're all works in progress, and fortunately, kindness is a skill that you can learn, I think. Uh, it is a skill. That is yeah. good to know. That is good to know. Well, you're very good at what you do. Thank you're changing you are. a lot of people's lives by giving them a voice that they've never had before. Thank so I, I'm, I'm sure you hear that all the time. But, yeah, uh, I don't it, know. It, it means a lot coming from you. But it's a, it's <laughs> a, a vital service, what you do, and, and whether this is where you settle for the rest of your life or you find some big new project next i'm sure that you'll conquer it too we'll see i also like the idea of conquering i like that idea Mm. too of really like making something yours Mm. i think and like i think like you're saying before i think everyone has different definitions of that they can use whether it's you know conquering like you want to make mental health advocacy your career or whether it's like conquering your own fear of you know opening up to people in your own life it's like it's all you can do is like work Mm. with what you got and it's almost like you're mighty. It's almost, it's as if oh. we are all mighty and <laughs> <End> podcast. <laughs> well, so it turns out we, it's are been we a out pleasure. of time anyway. We're out of time anyway, so go to the mighty. And, uh, Mighty.com. Mighty.com. Read some of Sarah's incredible work and, and contribute. Contribute stories of your own. Sarah, thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. This is great. Right, that's it. That's my conversation with Sarah Schuster. So on Twitter, I was trying to I was trying to read this quickly in the intro. Her Twitter handle is Sarah Eliz. 
tweets. I imagine that's her middle name. I'm going to ask her later. Uh, is Elizabeth, I assume, or Eliza, maybe? I don't know. Let's talk about this on Twitter. If you want to head over to Twitter and tag me, at uh, Mark Hennick, M-A-R-K-H-E-N-I-C-K. Tag Sarah, too. Sarah Eliz tweets. Uh, and we can have a conversation to try to guess what Sarah Schuster's middle name is. <laughs> And the most creative answer I'll, I'll read on one of the future episodes, maybe. We'll see. Uh, anyway, uh, that's my wonderful conversation with Sarah Schuster. I really uh, enjoyed talking to her. Go check out her work and the work of the entire inspiring community uh, at The Mighty if you're not familiar with them already. Or if you are, go back and it's an opportunity to read them again. I share their articles all the time on my Facebook page as well. So you can find me on Twitter, I mentioned, on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, Instagram, wherever else. I'm not hard to find. Google me or... Uh, uh, go to at Mark Hennick at M-A-R-K-H-E-N-I-C-K. Uh, you can also check out my website as well, markhennick.com. Uh, as always, head over to applepodcast.com. I don't know why I keep saying applepodcast.com. That's okay. It's not a website. So now we're going to have to pause for a minute so you understand that it's Apple Podcasts. So I understand that it's Apple Podcasts, not applepodcast.com. Anyway, go to Apple Podcasts, please. Subscribe to my show. <laughs> Subscribe to So-Called Normal. Uh, leave us a rating. Leave some comments. Share it with your friends and family. Uh, your support really is what makes this possible. Also, what makes this possible, the wonderful team at E1, at Entertainment One in Canada and the United States and around the world uh, for helping us to produce this, Adrian, Kimberly, Allison, uh, my great, um, wonderful editor, Dave uh, Trafford, uh, for this has really been a team effort. Last thing I'll mention, since I mention it every time, go to betterhelp.com slash Mark, enter the promo code Mark, and you can get a free trial of some online psychotherapy. Go try it out. Uh, safe, credentialed, screened psychotherapists that you can talk to anytime, day or night. Betterhelp.com slash Mark, enter the promo code Mark. That's it for me. I'm Mark, if I haven't said my own name enough times so far, and this has been So-Called Normal. Normal.